0: Oh. Uh-huh.
1: So, this episode, of course, uh, Balance of Terror, this is one of the seminal episodes of Star Trek. It is beloved. Uh, it is There are so many fucking think pieces about it. Um, and it's it's highly considered one of the best episodes ever made. So there's a ton of information about it, about it being made, about things going on behind the scenes... Uh, so I'm I'm really excited. There's a lot to chat about with this one, but first, Missy, what did you think of the uh, the the balance of terror?
0: Well, Emily, I thought it's very interesting for me to learn. I so I had the prediction that this would probably be a fan and critical favorite because of the small escalating into more and more Mm -hmm. sort of how far will they go who's gonna die i mean you know how you know how, how many lives is gonna be paralleling with the real escalation of wars that were happening at the time and so the very overt political messaging with it you know the the, we don't know what they're like you know culturally there might be spies among us like the cold war parallels are so overt in this that i found it interesting i liked it on an academic level but in terms of a suspense level it was very low for me so it panned out very much just being like okay i'm gonna see sort of the philosophical debates here of war and the justifications of it and you know it turns out in the end it's going to be oh maybe they weren't so different after all and uh you know there is a bit of a twist at the end which we'll we'll get to just in terms of how the situ the the tense situation between the two and the neutral zone the gender neutral zone
1: um
0: uh it's oh no sir we're being attacked by woke mobs (laughs) uh and so, uh, yeah, it's gonna be. Inter- I'm gonna be interested to hear all the background of it because I think it might raise my level for it. But this is not, in terms of excitement, one of my favorite episodes. That might be just how I watch stuff like this. You know, I, you know, we talk about the campiness of it. This is very serious and straightforward. So I'm having to put on like academic, very serious, straightforward, analytical Missy, which is less fun than you know, Teehee, we're running around and you know, this plan is salt sucking people. You know, it, it's just a different thing.
1: Absolutely. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, I really like this episode. Uh, I enjoy it. But if I'm picking an episode to watch, like if it's like I only have time for one episode, I'm not picking this episode. Um, it's a bit of a slow burn, you know, just that kind of thing with the pacing, with everything that – is going on
0: um i think the acting is stellar from yeah. both sides i think yeah. that is what is really good about it and what yes. i found most interesting was the acting out of the philosophical points and mm-hmm. how tense that was you know bones i think has a great moment in this one of his best moments yet he's one of my favorite characters for his moments like this uh i thought the dynamic with the Romulans uh you know we can get into a sort of Romulus and Remus analogy I'm sure throughout all of this that I'm realizing how overt it was in its origin I didn't you know I didn't know this part of it but of course now that I've I've heard about it, it's like okay interesting um but yeah why don't we go ahead um yeah. since I'm not this is going to be a more a more I think brainy episode I'm not going to be nearly as you know I think if, you, if you're looking for the If you're looking for wild, wacky Missy, it's going to be not quite so much. It's going to be thoughtful, reflective Missy. I'm very curious on this one.
1: There's a lot to think and reflect about. Uh, Let's get started. This episode was written, uh, in big air quotes, written by Paul Schneider, uh, who... Goes on to write another episode, uh, just a little later, which is one of my very favorite episodes. Oh, and you are going to be incredibly surprised at the tonal shift between this and the next episode he writes. Okay, uh, which is, is a Squire of Gothos. I think it's like t- in in two or three episodes. It's coming up. Um,
0: is the difference in tone based on the air quotes part of this that's happened, or
1: I truly am unsure. Because I have not read the chapter of the behind the scenes of *A Squire of Gothos. I do know, however, that this uh, was... So Paul Schneider wrote some on The Lieutenant, uh, wrote for many other shows. Um, and The Lieutenant, of course, being Gene Roddenberry's previous show. Um, and he was super not used to science fiction. He just, like, isn't that much of a sci-fi guy. So he based it entirely on The Enemy Below which is a old war movie okay uh, it is from uh it was directed by dick powell and it's basically during world war ii an american destroyer discovers a german u-boat and the ensuing duel between the american captain must draw upon all the experiences to defeat the equally experienced german commander
0: that's fascinating that this has to do with the u-boat because the thing that i compared this most to is a piece that comes later but the Mm -hmm. hunt for red october Yes. is what i was thinking of just in terms of the 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 sort of face off between the two of them i don't know if i thought of that because starfleet is sort of a navy eluded you know uh theme or whatever and i've never seen master and commander so i don't know how one rules the ocean uh Trip.
1: i uh <laughs> i do have not seen that
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um that's very interesting that he based that off of that, but i've never heard of that movie
1: Me neither. I had never heard of this. It was a very sort of like famous and acclaimed war movie of that time. Um, But it it was, of course, based on the Cold War on various other things. But it was it was basically a ripoff of The Enemy Below. And everyone knew it. And everyone was like, sweet, we're doing our Enemy Below ripoff. Except for a Mr. Harland Ellison. Have you heard of Harland Ellison, Missy?
0: maybe the name sounds familiar and harlan's just a very distinct name though
1: uh it's familiar because this is a a science fiction writer and also wrote the 28th episode of the first season of star trek the city on the edge of forever which is widely regarded as the very best star Trek episode
0: interesting like like
1: this episode i it won awards like it was wildly uh proclaimed um but Apparently, according to Harlan Ellison, when Paul Schneider told him that he had adapted The Enemy Below for television, Ellison refused to speak to him anymore because he thought that science fiction should be original and creative rather than derivative
0: that's really funny <laughs> it's like i mean that is a bit like i wrote my i wrote this like if it was like fan fiction it's one thing he's like i wrote this professional piece based off of you and he's kind of thinking oh so you plagiarized me and you just sort oh. of did a, a, a fill in your own mad mad lib of it but,
1: hmm. just did your mad libs
0: well and i just looked up the enemy below to see uh, some information mm-hmm. on it and uh interestingly enough there may be a reason why I got vibes that I did, and I was going to make a comment on this, Ooh. that Nicholas Mayer has cited mm-hmm. the film as an inspiration for The Wrath of Khan.
1: Ah uh, ha And
0: I was like, this has some of the same beats as the Wrath mm-hmm. of Khan in terms mm-hmm. of the back and forth sort of psychological stuff and like the, the ship game. things. Yes. And I was like, that's what this feels like. It's a chess game. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I was like, why does this feel like something else I've seen in Star Trek before. And I was going to say, it feels like something from the movies you see scenes of where there's a space off between the ships. So for me, that was, I think, part of the level where it's like not new to me mm-hmm. in terms of Star Trek, of a storyline, even though it's very good. Um, mm-hmm. It it That's most likely why, is because Wrath of Khan has the story beats that this episode has as well. Yeah, Which absolutely. also hmm. has... An actor in common with them.
1: Oh, do tell. Uh, I think I actually know this. Um, Go ahead.
0: I think it, it's it's it's, uh, it's Mark
1: Leonard. right? Yes, it is
0: Mark Leonard. <laughs> yeah, he is the actor who plays um,
1: the commander, the Romulan commander who doesn't get a name.
0: He plays yes, the um, Romulan, the unnamed Romulan commander. And his ambassador, Sarek, Spock's yeah. father, in this. And I'm also learning, I looked it up, and this is a slight spoiler for me in the future. He did it on the TV series as well. So they reused him.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They absolutely reused him a lot. He is the only actor who has played three different races of Star Trek alien. He has yes. been a Romulan, he has been a Klingon, and he has been a Vulcan. Because he was a Klingon uh,
0: in the first Star Trek movie where yes. Ambassador Sarek wasn't a character. That's the only reason why, which is fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the other Romulan, or one of the other Romul- Romulans, the one who plays Decius, is... Uh, is named Lawrence Montagan, and he also plays a uh, Vulcan in a later oh. episode in season two. Mark Leonard and Lawrence uh, Montagan were also, so Leonard Nimoy, when he was going from season one to season two, was like, you guys have to pay me more. Like, you, you have to pay me more. I'm only making, what, uh, $1,250 per episode, and I'm Spock. What the fuck? Um, so when he was in those negotiations, the other two actors that they're like, maybe we just replace Spock. <gasps> it was it was Lawrence Montagan or Mark Leonard that they oh, were going to pick.
0: Interesting.
1: But eventually they just paid him, him uh, twenty five, uh, two 2500 per episode.
0: You know, uh, you could Lawrence have... You could have swore up to Mark Leonard in there, honestly. Yeah. Like, that's when he popped up on screen. I literally was like, Spock's dad? I thought the twist was Spock's dad yeah. is leading the army because <laughs> I just knew that actor. Until a while, I just yeah. realized, I'm like, oh, no, he's playing someone else.
1: The Enemy Below. I keep trying to call it The Enemy Below, but it's a balance of terror. It's not even similar yeah. in title, but I keep calling it The Enemy Below.
0: And it's also not The Enemy Within. No! Not that either.
1: The other one, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Paul Schneider, quote unquote, wrote this episode. Um, He got really, really excited when he was writing this episode. Um, And in fact, wrote a 31-page outline. Outline? That is is the outline. Outline? 31 pages of outline. He wrote to Roddenberry. He's like, I had so much fun. It's even 31 pages, which means I really enjoyed writing it. And Ronberry was like, I am not sending 31 pages of outline to NBC. What the fuck is wrong with you?
0: Okay, so I know the average for screen writing, if I recall, is one page is a minute. So if it's mm-hmm. a 31 page outline, he essentially wrote like almost most of an episode just outlining it. Like that's not an outline. That's i don't know what that is I, yep. I don't know what it is anymore
1: it's a bunch of extra work that he had to try and redo multiple times because oh boy. it is unreasonable to to give a 31 page outline and this is why we need writer's rooms oh wow more of a reason why the writer's strike is valid and useful um yeah that's why we and also
0: why spock was right to stand out for more pay
1: exactly exactly um so yeah ronberry was like we need to the so the episode starts with a wedding um that wasn't until page three of this outline um
0: oh my god which, what a yep. way, what a way to set up your episode. I'm like, oh, well, which one of them's going to die? Right. You can't have a wedding at the beginning that without it being tragic at the Chekhov's,
1: end. Uh, Chekhov's partner, you know?
0: <laughs> Chekhov's unsaid vow. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, he's also like, so you did a good job sort of coming up with sci-fi weapons and things that the ships do, except that you explained them in high technical detail in the script so instead of you,
0: you sound like military yeah, jargon yeah so
1: instead of a light flashes and the person's like you know captain the ship is no longer on our sensors it's like captain this sonar field can no longer pick up the higgs bosons coming off you know
0: oh like, no you lost the higgs bosons you lost the higgs
1: bosons so <laughs> he's like you have to stop you have to stop also stop describing all of the action in the scenes remember this is a script and we will figure out the blocking so we got 31 pages of outline the next draft was 28 pages of outline um okay
0: that's three pages down that's some narrowed
1: and ultimately gene rewrote everything gene rewrote the entire script um and schneider was quoted as saying um he, and he got all the original credit, which he appreciated. This happened with many episodes, as we said. Gene rewrote the whole thing, but they, you know, had to give credit to the original writer. Um, which, fair enough, it's a, it's a fucking showrunner's fault if they have to rewrite an entire script that they already ordered. Yeah. Um, but he said, it's painful to watch my stuff on TV because all I recognize is my name.
0: Oh, that's hard. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, if you have your own vision for it, buddy, just write to that. Don't don't spend so much time on the outline Spend more time on the writing.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Outlining is more fun. I have so many outlines for things that I haven't finished, so I get it. But it's like, no, you need to actually do the thing. You need to
1: do the thing. You need to have a I mean, this isn't his fault, but there needs to be a better structure to, you know, give support to those writers so that it can be cost effective, time effective all those things but yeah that's that's the deal with schneider um it was directed by vincent McEvity, um and everyone really liked him they said it was a really good director and really good to work with um nice. so we, let's jump in to the episode and i have more facts along the way um here we
0: go Opening move.
1: Opening move. We open. And would you look at that? Well, what we open is on the ship, zooming by, and then we see Yeoman Janice Rand lighting some candles. Um, but behold, a wedding is being officiated between our two crew members. That's right. It's Angela Martine and something Tomlinson. Robert Tomlinson. Tom, to Millicent, it doesn't matter that much. We'll find out why... Tomlinson,
0: I Tom think. Tomlinson.
1: Oh. Um, so, Angela Martine was actually uh, Barbara uh, Baldovin, who was the wife of the uh, casting director, Joe DiAgosta. Joe DiAgosta...
0: Oh, I know someone for he this. He
1: literally never did that, though, which is what's so annoying. He's like... I was always really hesitant to cast my wife for no reason, just was. But all of his producer friends really liked her because she was really cool. And, and they kind of had crushes on her because she was a cool lady. They he, She seemed yeah, cool. Yeah, they said that, like, all the other uh, wives of those people were more, like, straight edge, uh, which, given, you know, descriptions of Gene Roddenberry's first wife, like, yeah, entirely different. But that uh, Barbara was kind of a guy's girl. And they all wanted her around. And so she always held it against him that he never cast her. And it was all his producer buddies that got her jobs.
0: That's really yeah. funny. All of them would do. I mean, to be fair, if she was getting jobs from yeah. them, he didn't have to cast her in his own stuff exactly. for consideration. So it works out all in the end. But exactly. hey, every once in a while, if she's right, she's right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, and this, this little love story we've opened with... Uh, was actually came straight from nbc sam Rob, uh stan robertson who was like the nbc guy who who worked with uh star trek was the one who was like we should put a wedding like let let's have a wedding that gets interrupted i think it'll add warmth i think i think it'll be good uh and you know what he was right <laughs>
0: I thought it was interesting. I'm like, they I have thought space weddings. weddings. Do people fall in love with each other? Is that allowed? And it's like, there's so much flirting going on on the ship. And it was mm-hmm. interesting to put that context of it. Of like, yeah, these like rituals still take place, even in space.
1: Yep. Um, Stan Robertson also called this one the classiest script they had received to date. So this is a very classy story, this old war story. Um, So, Yeoman Rand, we have her lighting a weird candle. This is her final, the original series appearance um, that we're going to see. So, this is the last time we see Yeoman Rand, again, who was uh, fired from the series because they didn't really like what they were doing with her character. They didn't feel like there should be that much of a strong love interest, like on the ship with Kirk. Um, And, but unfortunately, she was also. Attacked, essayed by an unnamed studio executive, and went through hard times and was not supported and was not looked after the way she should have, except for Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and the rest of the cast who really rallied behind her and got her eventually on um, Star Trek The Motion Picture.
0: Which is great.
1: Um, Yes, which is super great and absolutely deserved because she was amazing. And it, and it's really uh, sad that we don't get to see her. Yeah,
0: and, and for our last episode, I'm glad she's in a very, very good yeah. one. But her role has still mm-hmm. sadly never been fully realized. Yeah. And that, you know, it's so funny that they blame their own. It's like their own fault. Like, they're like, oh, the writing isn't it. up to snuff for it. It's like, well, you're the ones that are doing the writing, so why can't you write her better? Yeah, But, you know, if they just decided yeah. to Nick's a love interest there's only so much you can do about it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, But yeah. uh, So we got our bride to be in her uniform. She's, but she has a little cute little flower headband on fairy bridal. Um, But Kirk has a call from the bridge. Apparently earth outpost three just has not checked in or four. One of those earth outposts, they just have not checked in. They've heard nothing um they're trying to get in touch so he goes ahead with the wedding and he's all no ever since the, the captains have had ships on the ocean we've had the pleasure of officiating weddings burr, burr, burr. alarm goes you can't off.
0: have kirk do anything because when he shows up a red alarm is gonna go off
1: yep yep they're like kirk get to the bridge earth outpost four is under attack Right the fuck now. So everyone runs to their battle stations. Space. The final frontier. We get a captain's log that the USS Enterprise is, has been investigating things occurring in the vicinity of the Romulan Neutral Zone. Somewhere in between the planets of Romulus and Remus. Where an unknown assailant has been methodically destroying all of the Earth outposts. Um, when I heard
0: the term the neutral zone, I was very interested. One, because of the whole Iron Courtney parallel and stuff. But two, I knew I had heard that before. So I think it comes back in one of the movies where they possibly talk about the neutral zone existing in one of them. So hearing that, that phrase again was very interesting to me.
1: Yeah, the, the neutral zone absolutely gets brought up again in Star Trek. Um, but it also is specifically referencing the neutral zone between North and South Vietnam. at that time and the issue of things happening over and then like people you know combatants going to the neutral zone and like going back to their own side to hide um so there has been someone destroying these earth outposts and that's when we get lieutenant styles lieutenant styles hanging out In the navigator position. A
0: lovely crew member we've never seen before who all of a sudden has a lot of authority and opinions.
1: His name is Paul Comey. That's the name of the actor involved. Um, And he goes, I don't think there's any doubt who's doing this. Ooh, that's a big question. But let's talk about Paul Comey. First, we have a great uh, fact from IMDb. One of my favorite IMDb facts, uh, or is it style of one of my favorite IMDb facts? Styles' is outward hostility towards Spock is borderline insubordinate. That's the whole fact. How many
0: people found that helpful?
1: <laughs> like more than found it unhelpful. Like fifty-two people found I'm, that helpful. I'm so happy. Thirty-one found it. Like what? <laughs> so, um. Paul Comey had worked with, uh, Vincent, uh, the, the director previously on a couple of projects, including one for the lieutenant. Um, and in the lieutenant, he was cast as a, um, developmentally disabled person who works on rooftops, who, when someone is being a shooter from said rooftops, is accidentally killed
0: oh no so
1: you know they see like the the absolute innocent person but they think that that person is the bad person because someone's shooting from the rooftops well, that's heavy so ronberry was like well i mean he played this sort of you know development mentally delayed character on my show and at that time god knows how that was played so i don't i don't see uh, comey being like good enough for this role but Vincent was like, "Oh, I know he's good enough, and set up a meeting and they met and uh before they met, Paul Comey had apparently written a superhero comedy script with his roommate from college,
0: oh my like, word,
1: years before. And Roddenberry read it, like like he gave it to Roddenberry. He's like, "Look, I wrote a script. We're both writers, like I get you." And Roddenberry said that he had never laughed harder in his life, and they just had a great conversation, and that's how we got cast.
0: That's wild. That's a Isn't wild it? coincidence,
1: and I just uh I don't know if I don't think it was a coincidence that i think that he specifically read it because this guy wanted to get cast
0: oh interesting
1: but yeah so like he was specifically i think vincent might have even been like look at this guy's funny thing this will make gene roddenberry amenable because gene roddenberry was pretty amenable to anyone who reminded him of his himself ah. which is why we get really shitty people running star trek oh, no. after oh, him. no. And people like Dorothy Fontana being like, "I'm just gonna go." Um, <laughs> so, but this time, I mean, he was—he was a great actor. He did a great job. Um, so, Spock pulls up a great '60s map. Oh, it's, it's so 60s. It looks like it was drawn in lines, like it is the least digital like screen you've ever seen in your it life. It looked like it came from an educational
0: wonderful. Disney cartoon.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, But it's like, look, the neutral zone, and here's one planet, and here's the other. Um, And he explains the neutral zone to everyone. It was established after the Earth-Romulan War over a century ago. Um, Neither race had contact with the other since that time. And even during that whole war, neither side knew what the other looked like. They did not have subspace visual communications or even the level of subspace communications that they have now um, in Star Trek, not even vocal communications like they couldn't even talk to each other.
0: Yeah, I thought that was very interesting and I wasn't sure what the setup for it was because I forgot what the Romulans looked like, which we'll find out soon enough why that's significant.
1: Yes. Uh, Spock shares Earth believes the Romulans to be warlike, cruel, treacherous, and only the Romulans know what they think of Earth. Great line. There's a lot of really good writing in this episode, mm-hmm. which hurts me. It hurts me in my soul to compliment Gene Roddenberry, <laughs> but I know he wrote all of this. Like, <laughs> I know it was him specifically, but it's really good.
0: This is this is good Gene, uh, unfortunately. And, we, and when Gene, yeah. when Gene Good... But when bad gene bad.
1: Precisely. Uh, Kirk tells the crew, shares that with them, that currently self defense is permitted, but they are forbidden by Starfleet Command's orders to violate the neutral zone because that would be considered a declaration of war. And therefore, the enterprise is ultimately expendable. Like they're in that kind of situation where it's like, look, like this is not, this is. This is bad news. We're in a bad news bear situation.
0: Yes, very much. And he like is announcing this to the entire thing, like the entire crew. It's like FYI everyone. And he does he takes a really long time to get. I love his speech at the very texts on. Oh, by the way, so uh therefore we are uh, expendable. Uh so everyone have a nice day. Click click.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Lieutenant Styles, he assumes that they're romulan almost immediately he's like they're romulans romulans are here fucking everywhere classic xenophobe
0: he'd be the one saying the russians are coming the russians are coming Mm -hmm. and one of us might even Mm -hmm. be a secret communist who knows
1: exactly um but styles like kirk's like dude not only do you have no fucking idea but you don't even—we don't even know what these ships look like. How the fuck are you supposed to know what a, one of these ships look like, you this little bug on my bridge? Um, I'm just—I'm just paraphrasing here for Kirk. Uh, oh, that wasn't a direct quote but, from Gene
0: Roddenberry. I couldn't tell.
1: <laughs> but Styles was like, "Well, they're painted. They have giant birds of prey painted under them. My family fought in that war. Like, I come from a family of war heroes. We have passed these stories down." And Kirk is like, that was their war, not yours.
0: I'm fascinated, though, that this, again, Star Trek canon origins that I come across is the fact that they are called Birds of Prey, their ships. And that comes just from this them saying in here they had Birds of Prey painted on them. Great. Wonderful. Love it. It, It's why there's some, some things that sound so it's why some things sound so poetic weirdly for like a very brainy yeah. intellectual thing is because they just had like writers that were coming from that angle or just like in this yeah. case maybe gene himself just you know fancied himself yep. a poet so loved going to his thesaurus and yeah. saying what sort of, of things <laughs> references can i throw in here
1: he's like wow so you you named your main character after asgard the the dominion of the gods i will do one too noel they met her at yes. christmas <laughs> it's like oh okay.
0: mm, a a twinned race let us call it romulus no 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 not quite romulans i'm a genius i'm a genius
1: they're very uh R- romanesque. I want a romanesque. Culture. I mean, it was legit cool though. <laughs> they were able to
0: grab spare costumes yeah. off of, you know, for the centurion outfits, but getting that and the space vibe was really interesting.
1: It was um it was it was very cool. So essentially Kirk's going like, "Look, no one here assume that we are in a war right now. Like just no one do that." We're just trying to figure out our shit and make sure you listen to me. They find that Earth Outposts 2 and 3 are also destroyed. Uh Only dust and debris, but Enterprise is able to quickly get in contact with the Outpost 4. Meanwhile, in the Phaser Bay, we check in with our happy couple, Robert Tomlinson, the groom. He goes, happy wedding day, almost. And Angela's just like, you won't get off the hook, off my hook that easily. I'm gonna marry you, mister. Battle or phaser weapons, nonwithstanding. They're doubling down. All, well, meanwhile, I am your superior officer, so get with it, mister. And it's very cute. Um,
0: More relationships with superiors and underlings. What is yes. this? A few good men? Yes.
1: So they get in touch with the sole survivor of Outpost 4, Commander Hansen, um, who they get a visual and it shows him it's in a wrecked room. He's surrounded by fire. His hands are all fucked up like he has been blasted. Um, he said that there was this horrible, powerful blast from an of energy from a ship that they could not track. Um Says, Enterprise, can you see it? My command post here, we're a mile deep on an asteroid. A mile deep, uh, almost that, solid iron. That
0: rocked me. I, no pun intended, <laughs> I was caught that and was like, oh, okay, so this is some deep shit, quite literally. And I yeah. was trying to remember what the significance of the energy was and everything like that because I forgot, oh, that's right. They have different types of weapons for different types mm-hmm. of races because they all develop different, like. Weapons technologies like okay so they're having to, to face even just the unknown weapon systems and ammunition and things mm-hmm.
1: like that exactly um so they've have, they have deflectors and they're in a mile deep inside of a bunch of iron and they're just completely blasted totally destroyed there was no identification no answer to our challenge they got just a glimpse of a ship before something fired some kind of high energy plasma and then the whole thing disappeared uh and then they say oh no enterprise we see something again and it's coming hella fast and they see that the a ship has appeared and it's firing is trying to hail it being like hey hi oh hello no please no to the killing <laughs> of this guy um no answer return to and sender Return to center. They watch Hanson explode. They like pan around. We get a lot of close-ups of the faces of people on the bridge just wincing, like, like you know, squinting their eyes because it's so bright and terrible. And I have to um, give
0: out. We haven't done it for a while because no red shirts have, despite the the trope, no red shirts have really died in between then and now. We have some uh, some unnamed casualties, but I want to say that our Captain Matthews Red Sharts Award yes. needs to be handed out to the mile deep man. Yes. What is his name again?
1: Mile deep man. Uh let's see. It was Commander Hansen. Commander, Commander Hansen. Hansen gets our Lieutenant Matthews Award. Thank
0: you for your service to on-screen dying Thank for those for of us service. here in the Red Sharts audience. And, yes, it was a good death scene. Like, it was rough. Because I thought about it. I'm like, that's right. They don't show you too many on-screen deaths that aren't, like, a phaser shot. So it's just a quick little, ah, but, Mm -hmm. like, this seemed gruesome because he had already been burned and scarred and was, like, panicking and resigned and basically knew his time was up. But, yeah, it – and then seeing the ship pop up itself before it fired, too, you knew – before that, mm-hmm. this guy was gonna die. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we just see yeah. it happening off screen. It's like, oh, nope, ship fire and uh, this guy, uh oh.
1: Yeah. He was disintegrated. Yeah. The entire outpost disintegrated. Spock detects a moving object, but nothing is visible on screen. And he suggests that the Romulans have some sort of invisibility shield. They must, or whoever it is, must have some kind of invisibility Great. shield. Great. But they become visible just before firing. And since then, the ship doesn't seem to be in a hurry. It's just floating down a lazy river. So Kirk thinks to himself and is a very clever Kirk in this moment and is like, I don't think they see us. I don't think they know we're there. Spock uh, reports that the ship is heading back to the neutral zone. So, despite objections from Stiles, Stiles is like, "Sweet, so we intercept right now." A- along with the long uh, history of dudes in that chair being like, "Let's shoot mm-hmm. everything
0: Got it. right you away have to without thought." We have a toody shooty deputy who's always talking mm-hmm. to the sheriff, being like, "Let's go get them, Let's go get them, boys." And the sheriff's like, "I've Let's seen, we- I've seen too much shit like this. Hold on, there, soldier. Let's see this situation out." Which is what Kirk's doing. Oh, He's ta- like, exactly. let's tail him and head him off at the pass.
1: Exactly. Kirk is being a clever girl and he goes, let's do a parallel course. Let's match them exactly so that it seems like maybe we're just an echo on their sensors. He's guessing about the capabilities of their ship and being like, let's try and make them think that maybe like we're not here so because under no circumstances should the enterprise enter the romulan neutral zone without a direct order from kirk uh styles is like look there could be romulan spies here right now on the enterprise
0: done done and done
1: wildly sulu agrees with him sulu's like captain like this really is a security threat and Kirk agrees. He says, you know, like, Styles, you seem like a dipshit, but I trust Sulu. Um, so he he brings it up to a a concern. Originally in the script, Hansen suggests that the ship that attacked them was based on stolen blueprints from the Federation. Okay. So that was sort of like a a better reason for anyone to be like, maybe there's a spy. Yeah. Because...
0: If we're spy. doing it, they could be doing it. Okay.
1: Exactly. And like, oh, well, where'd they get that from? Like, you yeah. know. But in any case, he's like, we need a security alert just all over. And fair enough. So Kirk orders it. Um, Uhura picks up a communication signal suddenly, a code. They aren't able to break the code, but Spock is able to obtain a visual connection. A view of the Romulan ship interior, much like any superhero group where suddenly the evil person is able to appear on their TV screen in the middle of their secret hideout to be like, hello, super friends. Um, Basically, (laughs) that's exactly. what... They're doing, they're spying. Ring, ring, ding, ring, <laughs> ring. Hello, Scotland. can
0: you get a call from the villain? He wants to dial in. No. And we see Spock's dad. If you're me watching, yep. it was incredible, but nothing it is, is
1: said. Incredible, no word. We see this like cramped ship, it's all pink and magenta. There's a great sort of periscope esque thing in the center. Of the set to, to replicate a periscope. Um, they wanted everything to be all cramped so that it would seem more like a submarine. Um they're all wearing like this thick woolly sort of purple with like a like a magenta patterned uh sash across. They do look very Roman-esque. Oh,
0: Absolutely. I mean, they basically said let's get roman garb and then just space it up ever so slightly but they are essentially wearing like centurion colors yeah. and have everything to invoke like regal imperial rome. rome that they can do it was it was really interesting design i really yeah. liked it
1: and a lot of that did actually come from schneider um they the writers people behind the scenes do say that Paul Schneider is sort of the father of the Romulans. He came up with a lot of those ideas. It's just that
0: with that much outline pages, he better he he. I'm guessing that's all he wrote about was their history and why they are essentially space
1: right. Um, but yeah, they're wearing these thick rule. Well, most of them have helmets on, except for. The captain, Decius, and uh, the his second-in-command, and they turn around, and boy, do they have the ears. They've got the eyebrows. They look exactly like Mr. Spock. There is literally no difference between how they do the Vulcans and how they do the Romulans. It
0: was a great camera pan afterwards when they realized that the crew all yes. start turning one by one and looking at Spock, mm-hmm. and the camera just goes over, and they see Spock, and Spock, all he does is raise his yep. eyebrows and goes, hmm. In
1: the script.
0: And then goes back to yep. his duties. In the
1: script, it says his eyebrows hit the ceiling, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Accurate. And this is in a, he did a script version um, that I just found online. And all it does, it's like, is show me the script itself. Um it's from, and it says that this is, like, the copyright run one from CBS Studios, Inc., so I'm assuming it's the shooting script. Um, I'm
0: guessing they got published at some point, yeah. and someone just copied it and put it online, exactly. and that's what they're doing. But, yeah, I, I would guess if that's marked on there, yeah. it's
1: accurate. Uh, but it says it, they hit the ceiling, his eyebrows. Um,
0: There's one thing that people don't understand if they don't read theater or scripts there are so many jokes within yes. stage directions that are never, ever meant for anyone except the people whose eyes touch it. Mm-hmm. There are playwrights who love making clever little comments or whatever. Some to some help inform the actors, but some it's just their point of view and they are just writing it. There was a play that I once wrote that said a uh, nuclear explosion happens uh, and a flash goes across the stage. And then there was just a little period and then it said... Good luck set designer or designer. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it just was like, good luck designer, exclamation point period, and I (laughs) laughed.
1: But yeah, everyone's like, fuck, these Romulans look exactly like Spock. So Kirk asks, decoding, like, are we decoding this message? Uhura says, Cryptology is working on it, sir. And then Styles says something under his breath. And Kirk is like, repeat that allowed for the class and styles goes i was suggesting that mr spock could probably translate it for you sir and he goes i assume you are complimenting mr spock on his ability to decode i'm gonna just assume that for you and he goes i'm not sure sir So he goes, here's one thing you can be sure of, Mr. Leave your bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for that on the bridge. Do I make myself clear? Uh, Do you like my delivery? I would make a great Kirk. (laughs) He goes, you do, sir. Um, So that's our first little, like, racism against Spock via Styles. Um... And we see the Romulan ship in space and it turns and we do see there is a giant bird of prey on the bottom. Mm -hmm. It's a big old eagle thing. Uh, And now we get to know what the Romulans were saying. (gasps) Meanwhile, on the Romulan ship, the commander has noticed something. He's like, there's something following us. I think a ship is, is following us. And Helm is like, nah, it looks like an echo. I'm like, pretty sure it's an echo. And the commander's like, I am very sure that there is someone following us right now. The Centurion, who is his second in command, um, he says, if an Earth ship, why does he not attack? And now we get the commander. First, study the enemy. Seek weakness. If I were their commander, that is what I would do. So he's being real clever. He's also being a clever Our girl.
0: Battle of wits begins.
1: He is. He's thinking. Well, what would I do? And guess what? He's he is he's doing a pretty good job of <laughs> of thinking he what is. someone else would think. Um.
0: It's it's because he had access to the script, so <laughs> he knew exactly what Kirk was doing. He did, went to the same website.
1: He then is like, okay, but first off, Decius. Why the fuck did you just send a message? Because now they could maybe even see us. And Decius was like, "I was sending a message back to Romulus to tell them about our glorious mission." And the commander is like, "Actually, what the fuck, Decius? You you could have just killed us, all of us, right now. What the fuck? Get you know we you're said demoted."
0: No- we, we said no use of phones during the flight until we've landed. And
1: we turned off the button. Uh, so he's like, Decius, fuck you, you're demoted. But the Centurion's like, you know, like, Decius has powerful friends back home. Like, friends of his kind mean power, and power means danger. So we're getting an idea of this military structure of the Romulans and how it it doesn't seem um, as merit-based as the Federation yeah. seems. It seems like there's a lot of internal politics.
0: A lot of who you know. mm
1: mm-hmm. uh, And then the commander is just, he's just not feeling good about this whole thing. The Centurion is like, I've, we've seen hundreds of campaigns together and I still do not understand you. And the commander's like, I think you do. Like, I don't need to tell you what happens when we reach home with proof of the Earthmen's weakness. And we will have that proof. The commander seems to follow. He must. When he attacks, we'll destroy him. And then we're going to mm-hmm. have to go home and report it. And our gift to the homeland, another war.
0: More and more dead. Centurion's- another War-weary general. Yep. I love it. Mwah.
1: Yep. He goes, if we are the strong, isn't isn't that the signal for war? If we're stronger, shouldn't we go to war? Commander's like, must it always be so? How many comrades have we lost this way? But the centurion reminds him, our portion commander is obedience. And he says, obedience, duty, death, and more death. Soon, even enough for the praetor's taste. Centurion, I find myself wishing for destruction before we can return. Worry not! Worry not, though. I, like you, am too well trained in my duty to permit it. Continue the evasive maneuvers. Now, back to our first course.
0: What Shakespearean tragedy is being like, you know what? Maybe it would be better if we just died in battle. Well, off to our merry way. Continues, (laughs) Centurion. Mhm, I'm done being all musing and everything.
1: So back on the Enterprise, uh we just got a delivery of the debris from outpost 4, which means there is only room for one thing we can do on the Enterprise, and that's get our asses to a conference room.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah,
1: we got to we got to talk this out. So Spock demonstrates what those energy weapons did to things on outpost four he's like look this was our strongest known metal and he puts it down and it shatters it is sun-baked plastic uh yes yeah the doctor is on the same wavelength as the romulan commander he's just like look this could mean war and war is bad whatever we can do to not do war maybe that perhaps
0: i'm a I'm a doctor. I, I want to save people. I don't want to harm them. He's oh, That's always Bones' motive, and that's why I love Bones so much. Yep. Same ethos as me.
1: Yep. Uh, Scotty reports that the Romulan has simple impulse power, and Styles is like, we have to actually attack them. Like, we need to attack them. These are Romulans. You run away from them, and you guarantee a war. They'll be back. Not with just one ship, but with everything they've got. You know that, Mr. Science Officer. You're the expert on these people. Always left out that one point. Why? I'm interested in why. Which is fucking wild. <laughs> like,
0: I, like uh, this brought the 11s out of everyone within this crew. It mm-hmm. was so crazy.
1: Absolutely wild. So Kirk's just like, sit the fuck down. Styles. A borderline insubordination. Uh, that sounds like exact. That sounds like actual insubordination. I don't know. It doesn't sound like very borderline to me.
0: Well, the IMDB didn't want to mm-hmm. libel in publishing it. So they decided to do it suggests that he's, you know, oh, yeah. quite whatever it was. He reaches almost insubordinate oh, levels. But. Yes. Because they can't <laughs> say, well, we can't, you know, do it. We're not a court martial. But, you know, it seems that way.
1: But Spock wildly says he agrees. He's like, No, I agree. We should attack them. F- what? Kirk's like, F- What? McCoy's like, Based on what? And Spock says, Like, well, Styles, he's like, Based on what? Memories of a war over a century ago? On theories about a people we've never even met face to face? And Styles' like, We do know what they look like, we just saw them. And Spock goes, yeah, we do know what they look like. We did just see them, and guess what? If they're an offshoot of, of my Vulcan blood, um, and I think that's pretty likely, we really need to fucking attack these people. Like, you all do not understand. It's imperative. McCoy's like, it's, what? War's never imperative. But Spock says it is for them, Doctor. Vulcan-like Earth had its aggressive colonizing period savage even by earth standards
0: i the what the wild. fucked so quickly because i was like wow this is like internalized racism question mark i don't understand like it, or like i it was so wild to me when spock was like actually logically we need to decimate these people yeah. I i hate to be on this side yeah. but like oh, it's, like, worse than you imagine. Okay, geez, Enemy Within.
1: He goes, if Romulans retain this martial philosophy, then weakness is something we dare not show. Uh, Which is fascinating. And this is one of the first times we get to hear more about the Vulcan people from Spock himself. That they, at one time, were not the peace-loving people that that we now see. And that he... uh, believes that the romulans retain this philosophy um
0: and also interesting that that is still taught by the vulcans they don't yes. hide their past they are yes. told how savage their colonialization mm-hmm. was so that it is just at you know the forefront of his mind
1: mm-hmm. um so following the romulan ship's path towards a comet's tail Kirk is like, wait, I have an idea. They're going to go through that comet's tail. They're going to be visible for just a second. Perfect. We'll attack them then. It'll be great. But the Enterprise does not know that the Romulan commander himself has a plan back on the Bird of Prey. Mm -hmm. The Romulan commander is like, no, what we'll do is we'll go through this comet and double back. And then we'll intercept the Enterprise. And so they start going through the comet when they realize wait a minute our echo isn't following us anymore <gasps> and the Ron commander thinks fast is a super clever girl and goes evasive maneuvers immediately like they they if they're no longer following us it's because they're about to shoot us it's because they can see us like that he
0: realized after he took his hand off the piece what his opponent's move was mm-hmm. and went oh no oh no oh no but it's just a little too little too late. A little
1: too late. He reflects, he does the evasive maneuver and they each like reflect on each other's intelligences. Kirk says, he did exactly what I would have done. I won't underestimate him again. And he orders phaser fire. He says, you know what? We're just going to hit this whole area. I want blast charges. I want them to do proximity blasts and I want the whole area to be lit up. Um, proximity blasts are a thing specific to this episode to okay. reflect Navy stuff because that's what you can do in a boat to get oh. rid of U boats. That's like a Navy thing.
0: I was going to assume, I, I assume anytime. That a warlike maneuver is done in Star Trek, it is somehow based on actual Navy principles because yeah. as we've talked about, so many of these writers and people were just in World War II. So they were familiar with general strategy stuff, even if they didn't know the specifics they could get into
1: it. Exactly. And they they know like oh,
0: war movies existed I, forever so. at that point. Yeah. You know, this was the late sixties.
1: Exactly. Um so a barrage of phaser fire—it damages the Romulan ship. We got things falling from the ceiling, tons of rocks and dirt also falling, falling from the ceiling. Someone had a great mm-hmm. joke online that was like, "Why do the Romulans like keep dirt in the holds of their ship? Because that's all that seems to be raining down upon these people." <laughs> so, what? What is this? I kind of love that. Um, but everything's falling. And something starts to fall on the Romulan commander, but the centaurian pushes him out of the way and gets fatally injured himself. So he saves the commander, but himself is dying. Meanwhile, the phaser circuits on the Enterprise have burnt out. Spock has to get under the desk and, like, take a plate off of, like, under the desk and bat at fire with his hand. Uh,
0: (laughs) It's the good old swooping hand method of putting things out.
1: the Romulan ship fires its primary weapon, and they see that it's starting to come. They're like, oh, fuck, the primary weapon's going off. This thing disintegrated an outpost. Um, Kirk's just like, full astern, we need to back the fuck up right now. And so, for a full minute, everyone watches as this energy weapon uh, comes at them and they're like are we gonna be uh, dissolved <laughs> like are we
0: all going to die uh, and they get- uh-huh.
1: ryan asks she's even like should i should i keep logging everything that's going on since we're like imminently gonna die and kirk's like i don't know just keep doing it <laughs> um,
0: he basically was like woman yeah sure <laughs>
1: They all brace for impact. They're like, brace for impact. And everyone just holds on to something like Rand and Kirk hold each other. No seatbelts. No seatbelts on this ship. So they get hit and they get rocketed around. But they're fine. There is a distance limit to the primary weapon. Wow. That's an important They were
0: just grazed and it was like getting hit by a big gust of wind. Whoosh.
1: Exactly. Um, a clue! The weapon has a range limit. Um, resulting in reduced impact. There must need they must need so much energy to run the Romulan ship. Kirk has a thought, well, maybe we need to drain as much power from them as possible while staying as far away as possible. So that their weapons are not effective against us, they'll run out of power, we'll destroy them. That's a it's a clever plan,
0: clever, mm, clever plan. girl, Kirk, clever girl.
1: So, Kirk orders another barrage of phaser fire, and but they are unable to stop the Romulan ship, and they're like, you know what, Kirk's like, you know what, we gotta follow them into the neutral zone. There's nothing we can do. Like we have to follow them into the neutral zone. Meanwhile, on the Bird of Prey, uh. <laughs> The the commander just kind of dabs his buddy the Centaurion's head's for like forehead with like a towel. Yeah. Like as if he has a fever. And he's just like, oh no, you're gonna die. And the Centaurion's like, yep. Um
0: <laughs> Oh my
1: hubris. Oh no. Um, but the Enterprise keeps firing. So the Romulan commander has a thought. He thinks to himself, like, okay, you know what? We need to eject Every bit of debris we possibly can. So that hopefully. Scuttle. Scuttle our all, supplies. And maybe when the Enterprise sees that, it'll look at that to see what it is. And we'll have a chance to get away. They won't be looking at us for a second. So he's like, put everything out, including the body of the Centurion. Which is metal as fuck, to be perfectly honest. Uh,
0: Burial at sea.
1: Yep. So Spock sees this wreckage. He's like uh, vessel wreckage, metal mold, a conduit, a plastiform and a body. Dun, dun, dun. However, insufficient mass. It is simple to breathe, not a whole vessel being destroyed. A trick. Dun, 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 dun. This is also a reference to submarines. Uh, that's also a thing that submarines do or have done in uh, war movies.
0: I'm guessing so that confuses radar yeah. and they end up trying to fire at the wrong thing. Ooh. Interesting.
1: Um, so. Captain gives us a little log. We're in the neutral zone. We've lost contact with the intruder. There is no reaction on our motion sensors, but they believe the Romulan vessel to be somewhere close now they have shut down all their engines and systems and they're also playing a silent waiting game in hopes of regaining contact so they want the romulans to not be able to see them by shutting everything down so there's nothing to get their sensors on i suppose and the romulans are somewhere nearby they're not fooled. Fog though.
0: of war.
1: The Romulans are definitely not fooled. Decius is like, it has been 20 full cycles, commander. Mm, still no sign. I say he's been fooled. Let's he must have gone on. Let's go home.
0: Time to GTFO.
1: Time to GTFO and let everyone know that we need to fight a glorious war. But the commander is like, shut shut up. I know that he is still there. I now have mm-hmm. a psychic connection with Kirk, and I know he's out there.
0: He's, he's basically like, this guy he's doing the same shit i would do mm-hmm. so i i i know he's still there because if i were him it's like a wine in front of me situation yep. they're sitting, both of them are sitting there going like well they're doing what i'm doing so i just have to like anticipate it and then do the other thing but they're going to expect that i do the other th- and it's just circular it is a mobius strip of strategy Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. uh So the Enterprise, it's been powered down. I guess that 20 cycles is about nine hours and 47 minutes because that's how long the Enterprise has been down, Mm -hmm. they tell us. Um, Kirk is trying to rest in his quarters. uh, And the yeoman Rand walks in and is like, hey, do you want something to eat? And Kirk shakes his head. And he's just like, get me some coffee and go to the bridge. I'm going to the bridge soon. Apparently, in almost every single script uh, to this point, whenever something stressful happened on the ship kirk would be put off his food he like wouldn't want to eat something so there would always be some scene where like the doctor's like kirk you sent your food back or yeoman rand is like kirk you need to eat or like someone's like captain why are you eating um <laughs> justman was like these people are more concerned with what the fuck kirk is having for lunch than the shit that's going on on the fucking enterprise so it's, i was just gonna say yeah.
0: we've seen Janet's friend bring coffee how many times
1: right like once or twice literally almost every author wrote that in to all of the previous scripts and they had to take it out because it was like not useful <laughs>
0: That is so funny men men are so stereotypical, they're like me hungry, me want food, therefore guy in situation stress me no want food. We need to let everyone know no food for the me wanting oh my God
1: um, so just then, Dr. McCoy arrives we're having a we're having a doctor to Captain Convo. Kirk confesses. I wish that I were on a long sea voyage somewhere. Not too much deck tennis, no frantic dancing and no responsibility. Why me? Boy,
0: wouldn't it be great to be on vacation right now.
1: Whoop. Um, originally in the script, this was written as like, you know, doctor, like I feel useless here. This is a job for diplomats, not for ship captains. Interesting.
0: And they're like,
1: that is just too specific. So Roddenberry wrote this great line, which I really – like. don't,
0: We don't want diplomats to get a big head right now.
1: Yeah. Um, and he goes, I look around the bridge and I see men waiting for me to make the next move. And Bones, what if I'm wrong? And then we get a really great quote from McCoy. Um, he says, I've got one. I've got an answer. Something I seldom say to a customer, Jim. In this galaxy, there's a mathematical probability of 3 million Earth-type planets. And in all the universe, 3 million, million galaxies like this. And in all of that, and perhaps more, only one of each of us. Don't destroy the one named Kirk.
0: I was so touched. Right. I could not believe that this was coming out of like this episode it was poetry again
1: it was was really good
0: gene Gene roddenberry being a good berry i like (laughs) it it really got me like that was such a line like Mm -hmm. don't destroy the one kirk oh Oh, wow
1: um it really always felt to me like it should be a spock quote Just because it's just like, oh, the probability, the statistics, the this and that. Typically a Spock thing. But then like Roddenberry wrote a lot of himself into all of the three main ones. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah.
0: I think the reason it's more impactful to me is because it's coming from bones. Yeah. And that's why he's probably thinking, I rarely say this, but Mm -hmm. here's a big statistic. You know, I don't like statistics, but I'm saying it because i'm trying to get to the point there's only one of each of us yeah so like i don't want you to lose your friend
1: Mm-hmm. later on the bridge with like only half of the lights on it's great um everyone's sitting like it's like heads up seven up in middle school yep. um they're
0: just waiting like so we're gonna restore power anytime soon maybe maybe not
1: Um, So Spock's still under the desk. He's making repairs. And that's when he reaches around and accidentally sets off a panel. He just. Yeah, that
0: was like whatever. With his
1: hand. And it starts, you know, all the lights jump on styles jumps up. Like everyone fucking jumps. Kirk was like, it's okay it's okay because he wants everyone to like be ready at battle stations but i thought that was really funny that he's just like
0: no torpedoes no, no torpedoes
1: it, it's okay it's, everything's okay everything's okay it has,
0: to, <laughs> has to be based off real life has to be based off of people being on ships or submarines yeah. and someone bumping the alarm everyone panicking for like five seconds like it's oh like, no this is war <laughs> and then it shuts off that everyone's like false alarm false alarm Sorry, everyone. The mop handle hit it. The
1: mop handle hit it. Oh, no. The Romulan ship detects the Enterprise, and it moves into attack, which Kirk anticipates. He's like, fuck, they saw us. A panel went off. They definitely saw us. Fire. Fire. Lasers. Fire. (laughs) And furious, because, you know, they're getting fired upon, so they can't, like, shoot properly. The Romulan commander orders more debris into the tubes, and this time, including a nuclear warhead. DC says, yeah. how, Commander, how? And, he, and Commander goes, he's a sorcerer, that one. He reads the thoughts in my brain. Our fuel supply, all but gone, and he stays out of reach. Wow. I just like, he's like, he's a sorcerer. Um,
0: he's making me use nukes, that savage.
1: Yeah pretty much so spock picks up again all of this debris but also a metal cased object in the sensors and they're like fuck fire upon it they fire upon it and the massive explosion causes damage to the enterprise uh and now so like the enterprise is like rocked right it's like a little Mm -hmm. bit fucked they're like fuck and the Romulan commander—it's like
0: torpedoing a land, or like, a, like it's like torpedoing a sea mine.
1: Yeah. Coma- Romulan commander is like, sweet, we hit them. Now let's get the fuck out of here. Decius, he's on the ship. He's like, glorious, glorious. <laughs> Which I love. Commander's like, and now we go home. Decius, they're at our mercy, commander. I remind you of your duty. So that's an interesting break. Like, commander's like, no, we need to get the fuck out of here to get home. But the rest of the Romulan military sort of together is like, no, now is when we kill the other people real yes. hard. But I'm what I'm thinking is the commander knows that if he sticks around for even a second longer, they're all dead. Like, I feel like at this point, the commander knows, like, we're either going home right now or we're going to die. There's no way we're defeating this ship um on the ship uh scott tells us that the facers are operational um but there's only one dude manning the station left and who is it it's tomlinson that's right the groom from the wedding remember when there was a wedding like oh yes of course we
0: set that up at the very beginning remember
1: remember remember that wedding um Styles is like I, I actually I know how to weapons, I weapons, and he's like, sweet, get the fuck down there to help out Styles. Uhura, take navigation, cause Uhura can man any of those fucking. She has stations. to be
0: ready for any fucking any thing. Any
1: fucking thing. Women have
0: to be ready, ready yep. to take over any role that a man can, yep. while not being given that as primary responsibility.
1: Pretty much. Um, Kirk's like, sweet. What we're going to do is we're going to play dead. They're going to come after us, and then we're going to hit them with our phasers. Sweet. And we know that the commander just wants to go home. And if he did, he would be fucking alive. But instead, he reluctantly gives the order to attack commander's going like we've damaged ourselves our fuel reserve is gone DC's is all and it is our duty to crush all of the proators and, and enemies commander i do not trust their captain he should not trust their captain dc says no we're in the neutral zone they will not enter and if you refuse permit me the glory of the kill commander meaning like I will fucking kill it. you. Like, I'll do mm. it. Like, either you are going to order that we do this, or I am going to order that we do this. I don't know. That was the the implication I got. Um, and Commander goes, we will attack, but on my order. Meanwhile, Spock is uh, checking on the phaser crew, and Styles is all like, we will handle things without your help, Vulcan. I am still being a racist pissy man, even though you have agreed with me every single time I was racist. That somehow hasn't jogged anything in my brain saying, yeah, maybe he's on our side. Uh, even, even when the, like a racist, even when the person they're being racist towards agrees with them, cannot then understand that that person is not their enemy.
0: Ah, they want me to think they agree with me while secretly not agreeing with me. Right. Like, okay, sure.
1: So Spock walks out. And immediately as he walks out, what but a red magenta dust starts flying out of a random box on a panel in that room. (laughs) So this is phaser coolant. It's a phaser coolant leak. It has erupted. Kirk has ordered the phasers to fire, but both Tomlinson and Stiles are overcome by the fumes. They're down for the fucking count. And Spock, who's walking, and he's heard that phasers are supposed to be firing, but they're not. So he knows something happened at phaser room. He turns the fuck around, runs to the phaser room, and is able to get those shots off before grabbing Stiles and running out of the room. Um... So that magenta dust, all, all that crap in the air, according to Tomilson, um, he said that that nearly did kill him. It oh my was God. probably something innocuous, but is what he said. He's like, it's, it was probably something innocuous, but I was coughing up red and pink shit for a week. I don't oh. think that was innocuous.
0: Well, but anything in your lungs that's not supposed to be in your yeah. lungs and coats it. Yeah, like it's it's coating it. It's You're like- right? Accidentally drowning in flower dust because you just coat your lungs.
1: Ah, So. (laughs) Thankfully, the Romulan ship has been severely damaged. It is floating dead in space. And Kirk tells Uhura to open hailing frequencies. Visual contact is recreated. And Kirk watches the severely wounded Romulan commander stagger up. He turns and then looks at Kirk's face. Kirk says, Captain, standing by to beam your survivors aboard our ship. You know, that's what you do. Prepare to abandon your vessel. Commander, no, no, that is not our way. I regret that we meet in this way. You and I are of a kind. In a different reality, I could have called you friend. Kirk, and what purpose will it serve to die? commander says we are creatures of duty captain and i have lived my life by it just one more duty to perform and as his last duty he sets the romulan ship to self-destruct and kirk watches regretfully as the ship is destroyed in a taken out scene that they filmed but but didn't put in because for whatever reason um Mm -hmm. kirk salutes the romulan commander and the commander does a little bow
0: uh Because they didn't want people to think that it was like, this is the U S saluting to the Russians. So they decided, no, 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 we can't, we can't take the analogy that far.
1: That might actually be why, Uh, but that you and I are of a kind in a different reality. I could have called you friend. It is one of the most famous star Trek quotes. It is one of my favorite Futurama quotes um, from one of their star Trek episodes. (laughs)
0: Yeah, what is that? for? I say I've heard so, that quote before, but what is the um, in context in Futurama?
1: I just watched this episode, which is why I'm like, oh, my God. Um, They land on a uh forbidden planet. The crew of Futurama lands on a forbidden planet when they're looking for, like, the Star Trek people. And there is, I think his name is Glorbo.
0: Yeah, the, the blob yeah, or the Glorbo, gaseous creature. Yeah, the energy
1: yeah. being who is obsessed with Star Trek. And he's a huge nerd. And so at the mm-hmm. end of that episode, when fry is escaping and like Lorbo's there he's like fry you and i are of a kind in a different reality i could have called you friend like two star trek nerds
0: uh dorks
1: <laughs> two fucking dorks we could have been friends
0: as a fellow dork i appreciate it
1: right um it was just so good um kirk goes to sickbay where styles is on the bed kirk discovers there that not only did spock fire the phasers but he rescued styles and styles is humbled and amazed he says i'm alive sir but i wouldn't be mr spock pulled me out of the phaser room he saved my life he risked his life after i and spock's like i saved a trained navigator so he could return to duty Mm, i'm capable of no other feelings on such matters which is such a petty bitch thing to say. I Right. Just like, excuse me, I saved you. Uh, not because I'm such a good person, because you are being a racist shit. It's only because you're going to navigating. That's why I didn't rescue Tomlinson. Uh, <laughs> which isn't what he said, but is along the lines of what the actor who played Robert Tomlinson's son said. Uh, oh that was the only star trek appearance and the son was like why did Fox save that jerk why couldn't he have picked one of you and un- up under each arm
0: <laughs> i you know what no answer. no answer i don't have a good answer for that
1: um <clears throat> kirk says how many men did we lose bones mccoy only one only tomleson Boy only
0: wedding married
1: boy married this morning his fiance is at the chapel oh and so we go to the chapel with with kirk who's trying to console a grief-stricken angela martine who is standing alone looking up at something when i saw that shot i was like oh that's like where a cross would be if this were a church exactly but this is something interesting and almost unnoticed bit of staging uh, might indicate that Angela uh, Martine was Catholic because that's a Catholic thing to do. It's also apparently like Episcopalian um, and it's not controversial today. Like no one would even see it. But in the 1960s, there was still a ton of prejudice against Catholics. Um, Mm -hmm. So that That's something that might be interesting. Um,
0: Very interesting.
1: He says, Kirk says to her, it never makes any sense. We both have to know that there was a reason. And Martine says, I'm all right, and leaves. And then we watch Kirk walk out of the chapel through the hall, directed her, by President Price.
0: Her saying, I'm all right, and leaving with such, like, stoicness that made me like have a single tear in the side of my eye because i was like wow she is gonna power on like that's hard
1: yeah yeah so uh balance of terror uh again it's it's one of the most highly regarded of the episodes of star trek um it's the basis for a strange new worlds episode which is oh. a new series with Captain Pike. Uh, it's an alternate version episode in which we see what would have happened if Pike were in this situation.
0: <gasps>
1: it's called oh. A Quality of Mercy, and it's very, very good. Um, I definitely recommend it. Um, and, and two more fun facts that I have. One is kind of long, but one is short. One, what do you think... Uh, What Star Wars character uh, do you think was inspired by this episode? And this isn't necessarily a movie character or a TV show character.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: But it may be a future one.
0: Well, now that you've said that, I know it's not from any of those. So I'm going to now... Take a swerve and Thank say you. from the extended universe Is General Thrawn You are
1: correct
0: Okay, I would not have gotten that from I would have guessed one of the commanders yeah. In like the Empire, like Grand Moff Tarkin Is honestly the first person yeah. I was thinking of maybe When you said that, but when when you said it It's not necessarily from it, I'm like well okay Then it's yeah. it's General Thrawn <laughs>
1: Yeah um, <clears throat> The second thing I want to share is about the person Who made the bird of prey okay um, so this was did cre- they have
0: a nervous breakdown sorry if i spoiled <laughs> the line.
1: they did not but they okay. did suffer racism <gasps> um yeah so this bird of prey was created by wa chang who also created the salt monster
0: who mm-hmm. also
1: created almost everything else in star trek all of the great things so um, including the helmets that the Romulans wear because nice. they didn't want to fit a bunch of ears um, <laughs> And he created um the tricorder, he created the communicators, he created so many things. So I have a little bit from tour.com about this person, which is so interesting. So Wa Ming Cheng um was born in Hawaii in 1917 He moved to San Francisco in the 1920s and ran the Ho-Ho Tea Room, uh, which was a place for young artists. And I am from San Francisco, so I actually know that area. Oh, very Um, cool. mm -hmm. Um, He was already a well-known artist by the age of nine with his own show in a downtown San Francisco gallery. By 21, he had landed a job with Disney how have i
0: never heard of this guy before i know i've, I've heard of him because you have mentioned him on yeah. this show yeah but i don't think i've heard of him outside of that yet
1: yeah he created the tricorder the communicator the tribbles the gorn and this original bird of prey the thing is he technically wasn't allowed to be doing any of it <gasps> apparently that was because he was not in the prop makers union
0: oh yes. no um,
1: so the reason but then here's the question of like and why wasn't he so justman wrote that the reason why they went to chang instead of the prop makers union was because the things that they ordered from the prop makers union were of inferior quality when they needed higher quality props mm-hmm. um so they turned to chang he apparently finished everything perfectly Several beautiful hero models of all three props. And uh, that is when the phasers hit the fan. The studio's prop makers complained to their union. And their union complained to the studio that the new props couldn't be used because Watching was not a union member. And then, you know, the Desi Lebo- Lu's labor relations person tried to help. He suggested that Watching just join the union and become, you know, a de facto mm-hmm. post employee of the studio. But then the union wouldn't let watching join. Justman claims in in his mind he says they were afraid the talented artist might take work away from some of their members and so wouldn't let him join. That's wildly vague. Wildly vague, you know? Okay. Yeah. So to get around the legal trouble, Justman just suggested that Watching independently build and design the props, and then maybe the staff would just, like, visit his studio, and then, like, oh my, what a coincidence that he has just the thing that they need and will pay oh for it. Oh my
0: god, clandestine operations.
1: Straight up. So the two major consequences of that were, Watching was never formally credited on screen for okay. any of that work. It is wow. only through the diligence and dedications of the show's fans that he was given his due years later. He, it's never up there. And that's why you'd never heard of him because
0: Okay. I
1: hadn't heard I hadn't heard of him until I was reading about who made the salt monster. Because I was like, who made the salt monster? Why can't I find any information about the person like what? The second consequence was that the union soon caught wind of that fact uh, that Desi Liu of was working with Chang, you know, outside of union rules. Um, so
0: they're like, none of our guys can make anything this good.
1: <laughs> so the lawyers of the prop makers union confronted Desi Liu with receipts, and they forced Desi Liu to cancel payment to Chang for his work, which was right around the time of Balance of Terror. Chang had built the Roman hel- the Romulan helmets. The ship interior and the bird of prey, so all of that was him, Uh, and then was refused payment and told he might never work with the Trek team again. Chang took that bird of prey, according to an interview that he gave to National Public Radio in 1982, and smashed it to pieces with a sledgehammer.
0: My God, of course, Chang's
1: work with Star Trek, documented or undocumented, apparently ceased partway through season two. So, even after this, he was still working for them. The long of. They short must have, this, so, they
0: must have been paying him under the table at that point to do it.
1: The, uh, and, and this is where it <coughs> becomes more of a question. Because obviously, don't be a scab and don't do things against the unions. Like, the, the, mm-hmm. those are bad things. But this was 1960s America. And it says here, the long of short of it is that it cannot be said with absolute certainty that the Prop Makers Union rejected Chang because of his Chinese ancestry. Yeah. He very well, because we do know with absolute certainty that he faced prejudice throughout his life mm-hmm. and had a f- constant battle. He was fighting for recognition. And furthermore, that he was in an interracial marriage. He, mar- he was married to a white woman.
0: Oh. And that was
1: straight up illegal in California.
0: Oh, so, interesting. Like,
1: which is, you know, bizarre. They had to go to fucking Texas to get married, which is insane. So don't do things against the unions. But in the 1960s and in this union, like, it was probably pretty racist. Like, Yeah, this is one of the grayest,
0: yeah, grayest, globiest situations right? of- how many there's a lot of wrongs going on here but Mm -hmm. the most wrong seems like because i guess my my thought of it too is that if you're a guild don't you want the best so that you can show off and get off their name and it's like yeah but he can't do all the projects like he'll do more but like he can't do everything
1: and it also that kind of sounds a little and randy like it sounds a little propaganda-y of yeah like it sounds like something that justman maybe like Pulled out of his ass because he he didn't care exceptionally that much about all of the the inner workings of things. Yeah,
0: that's it's it, it's it, interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, but it makes more sense that this the one was yeah. racist. Uh, the
0: thing racist, then that I am it. glad that comes out of it and from this project is that we're able to give him the credit yes. that he is due. Despite whatever was going on then uh, mm-hmm. through anyone's, you know, effort and everything like that. So, yeah, it, it's nice that we know who he is now.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so that is the story of Balance of Terror. Um, there's so many, so many think pieces and things written about this one online. Um, super interesting. Uh, but, yeah. Missy, what do you think?
0: I This one is hard for me to put on my ranking system. Mm-hmm. I think I have to put it on my high shelf by merit of how well it is written. But it's one of those high, high shelf to the far left or right again. It's not getting one of the spaces in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that only suffers from, like, some of these Star Trek episodes, me seeing variations of this thing mm-hmm. that... Do it not necessarily better but do it differently and the fact oh, yeah. that again Khan has moments like this on here as well where they're trying to deal with cloaking and things like that i believe with the ship and so um yeah it's it's very interesting but god the writing is mm-hmm. so good like bones mm-hmm. this little speech alone that quote man i can't i can't put this episode below like a top tier just yeah. from the writing. It's, we, we gotta get, again, the good, the bad, and the gene. Yep. Good gene. This is good gene.
1: This is good gene. It's real good gene. Um, I think that it is. it feels the most similar to me as the Corbermite maneuver. They're both model yeah. like episodes, they're both very chess like. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the pacing of the Corbermite maneuver better, I think it's just a little faster. Uh, yeah well and it has more
0: weirdness going on you have like an alien you have a you know rubik's cube you know your Mm -hmm. ending has something more where this the twist is something more grounded where it's oh meant to deflect it meant to reflect one it's meant to deflect suspicion onto spock while Mm -hmm. also causing us to reflect on how is this paralleled to racism we have because you could this could be like oh it's Americans versus Japanese, and they have a, like, Korean on their ship. So everyone turns to the Korean person because they look like the Japanese mm-hmm. person. And the Korean person is like, well, I know Japanese culture, so or I know Korean culture, and Japanese culture similar. So, like, they're probably going to do this, but, like, I'm not with them, kind of. You know, it'd yeah. be like a parallel where that's the story. If we're going to one-for-one it, you know, in terms of, of where they probably were writing from World War II, you know, expectations and everything. So yeah, it, it just it, it's just fascinating. I like the insight into as much as I don't love military and military things, I do always find it in- fascinating when you get a little insight into what decisions were yeah. actually being made reflected yeah. in our fiction, because that is something that does affect our reality as much as we like it or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I'm really excited to uh learn more about Paul Schneider's next episode which it's it's only like 3 or 4 episodes away from this one um and sort of comparing the background and like just seeing the wild uh change in tone
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and we're also going to get one of these great tone changes for next week's episode
0: I just looked at the title, mm-hmm. shore leave. That Shore-leave. seems like it's going to be a bit of a a relaxed, light episode coming up.
1: Shore leave. So, Missy, what do you think shore leave is about?
0: Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping this is like those wonderful mid-level theater farces you get where it has a simple title where it sounds like something like vacation week and then you're like oh it's vacation week but things are going to go wrong so hope it's like oh the episode's called shore leave and you think oh it's gonna be fun but we get like a comedy bears or a farce involving different things happening while on shore leave i mean it's kirk so some sort of red alert is going to happen but i'm just hoping it's it's something more whimsical where oh do you want to be great Hmm. i want a bag switch I want this to be oh. a true farce where there's two different okay. things that people have and it gets switched and they're trying to figure out where the real thing is. Maybe it's a weapon. Maybe it's cargo. Who knows? I just want full door slamming comedy of errors. I don't think I'm going to get that, but I would love, I would love if that's what this next episode is. A disaster episode.
1: I'm very excited. And uh, I think that you should be too. Based okay.
0: on that. Okay. I'm excited. I'm my, I'm going to ramp up my... Uh, my excitement level, it goes from here to boop, 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 a little bit higher. Oh, boy.
1: Oh, yes. Missy, thank you so much for balancing this terror with, with me.
0: Emily, I fear not because we're in here and there may be by now, I'm sure, more than three million Earth-like planets we've discovered mm-hmm. within the galaxy, but there is only one Missy and one Emily and I love our one Emily.
1: And I love our one Missy.
0: Live long and prosper, my dear.
1: Live long and prosper.
0: I keep getting a phone call at, from the same phone number, but it's not leaving a message, mm. and it's not recognized, and when I look it up, it doesn't come up anymore, so I don't know what's going on. Okay. We're doing an episode. You know, we're doing episode of Royster. That's What am I doing here?
1: Yeah.
0: Spacing out, friddling out. Um. What? Is, uh, oh, I was just gonna ask what your thoughts on this episode were, but th- that's what the show is. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: Oh no, actually, what I was gonna show you. So I got some swag from Alice in the gift bag that happens oh! to coincide with my one year pot anniversary. Like she was oh! just saying it anyways, but it is including stuff like my very own former random hat. From our Bluey episode She kept the Bluey So we get the bingo Which happens to be Alex's favorite um, Some of the big items I got like some vamp stuff I got my own copy of vamps For the sisterhood with the traveling vamps um, yes. There was a stray fluval sticker That she had that I was able to put on the side of my computer
1: Yes,
0: um, There is um, Oh this might interest you a copy of this is not related to anything that we've done on the pod, but it is Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto, Ooh. which is Alice's favorite book. And so she just buys it anytime she sees Aww. it and uh, to make sure that it stays in circulation. Aww. But here's the two, the two quote big ticket items that I would say one is related to a series that we would have been doing had we not done this emergency episode. Assigned Nate. Cordry, Tom Jeter from Studio 60 era wow. photo, which is framed in a frame wow. that matches her photo of Jordan, ah! uh, Amanda Peet's character, not signed, but still matches her frame in there. And then related to this month of August on the day of what will be day one of recording, an official Barbie Twilight Edward doll.
1: Wow. So this. Wow. That is what I
0: got and what I will be having uh with the emergency uh episode which will have been released already, but yes, that's part of the swag. Mm-hmm. It's so great.
1: Oh my god, that is so fucking sweet. Uh I it's love that.
0: Very nice of her. And they were all yeah, specifically oh picked up oh soon yeah That's now we
1: sweet.
0: now we can record this episode about two males shooting jizz at each other
1: pretty much uh pretty much it's been a big week for dudes kissing on on tv shows that i Wait, watched do tell uh we watched have you seen good omens
0: so, oh, you're spoiling you. That's fine, because I've seen season one of Good Omens. I only mm-hmm. learned recently there was a season two. There but, is I, a season two but I've I heard I've season. heard that there's basically a gay kiss, and I'm sure it's David Tennant and Michael Sheen. So You, you blinked th- twice for yes.
1: Something happens in that show where okay. men kiss. Uh okay. and then the righteous gemstones.
0: Oh no, you've spoiled the other show that
1: I'm literally in the middle oh, of I- watching. We don't know, we don't know which two dudes. Oh no,
0: I know which two dudes. Don't even. <laughs> oh no. This is so funny, Emily. Although I think I also got that one spoiled by Twitter as well. So you're totally I'm fine. So it's confirm it's confirming. No, no, you're fine. You're totally fine. <laughs> this is so fucking funny. This we gonna have to go at the end because it's spoilers. So we're gonna have to put this part oh at the end, god. too. Oh
1: my god. Oh my god. But yeah, lots of lots of kissing uh, this this week, which is great. Uh, but yeah.
0: Hi Hun, love you. are fine. Dude, I was walking, she's just walking away with a suitcase. Yeah. I don't know do in the suitcase. This is like a real life mystery happening. It's like a rat race. <laughs> um But then I was looking like in my brain, I'm like, mate. I'm oh. sorry. You're okay. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> just doing hard stuff. I know you're doing art stuff. Transactional art stuff. It's all good. Yeah. Transactional Stream
1: people. Do you want to buy some of my artwork? Uh, only if you'll buy some of my artwork. Emily and says we'll only trade. if
0: you will buy some of her artwork in art trade. I mean, he will literally do an art trade. I'll
1: do art trade. That might be that, might be that might be awesome. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that might be really cool. I can't hear. I don't right. have any. She said yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Okay. yeah cool.
0: Uh, uh, do you have like an Instagram or something I can check your stuff out on?
1: Yeah, goddamn Emily Ann.
0: It's goddamn Emily Ann. God
1: and I have Emily more stuff Anne. that I just haven't put up yet. Cool. She has
0: more stuff that she hasn't put up yet.
1: God
0: She's God the one that sends all of the things that I get from God Radio Free Multiverse. All of those envelopes and stuff—that's Emily that does them.
1: Goddamn Emily Ann. and Anne.
0: A N N E. A-N-N-E
1: yeah
0: there it is it. wow another thing to tag on the end plug plug for oh, your art oh my god
1: plug.
0: he just screamed oh my god come back come back
1: you got you got stained glass i don't know we, yeah. i'm all about that stained glass yeah hmm. oh yeah
0: I love that. Ooh, Saturn. Ooh, yeah. We're yeah. We're definitely doing a trade. Yes. Awesome. Wow. Yes. Look at that. Wheeling and dealing. He loves art, doing art trades.
1: I I am so excited. I'm so excited to finally have like art to do art trades. <laughs> um.
0: Do you follow him on Insta?
1: I am not sure. He, but he is, just Followed me right.
0: Yeah. He's rat underscore tunnel.
1: Rat underscore tunnel yeah now i am
0: perfect i'm just you know what we'll take all these outtakes and just make a bonus little episode out of it
1: yeah oh hell yeah um fuck yeah perfect. i'm very very excited um where were we oh yeah so <laughs>
0: Grab some supplies from our studio because uh, okay. I need to do some embroidery for Ooh. the one show. Yep. And then um, I need to actually get the embroidery floss. So I'm just going to take that and donate it. So, okay. um, Mwah. Love you.
1: Love you, too. Have fun.
0: We'll Try not to stream too
1: hard.
0: <laughs> I will not stream. T- I won't stream too hard. I-, I won't cross my streams. Oh, no. My ankle. What? Before your Muppet. Oh, no. Oh, I got it. Okay. My Muppet. It should be straight ahead. Right (gasps) there. Oh my god. He just got knocked over. The Muppet. He's barely hanging on. The Muppet. Right next to Bumble Lion. It's where they live.
1: uh, I don't like Bumble Lion. It feels very like Scar. Oh my god. Wait.
0: You can peek into our living room. It's a bit messy, but look at that. That is unseen (sighs) territory. bookcase there alex built that oh, bookca- stu- move away from the bookcase no, but alex built that bookcase people. into the wall beautiful
1: bookcase oh,
0: yeah with space that is technically an alcove behind our
1: uh fireplace i love that um what a what a nice place
0: it is a nice place i i hope you and forest have it. some dumb excuse to come visit somebody if if there's like a Chicago thing with George Lucas Talk Show, something exciting, you guys can fly to Des Moines. We'll road trip together to Chicago to go do it if you want. No, and then you have an excuse to come see it.
1: Fucking amazing. Um,
0: okay, back to the task at hand. More, more outtake. All those. right. It was, it was actually the same playwright. it was the guy who wrote Riverdale and oh. created Riverdale. That was, uh, 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 it was that guy.
1: I'll... Uh... I know his name. I totally know that yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, name. I've yeah. I've watched a lot of videos about him. Um
0: Here's another Okay, here's another outtake oh, it's aside.
1: Ricardo something?
0: Yes. I don't have I don't think I have the script on me. Maybe I do. Hold on one sec. Here's another outtake.
1: Roberto Ag- uh, Aguirre Sacasa. Yes. Yeah, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Um, one
0: second here. I don't want
1: to spend much time on So at the point. That's fair. Uh, but this is an aside. That,
0: this fine. is like an Easter egg. This is an Easter egg that is just for, like, I felt like for me. Mm-hmm. So he had a play called Dr. Cerebus, mm-hmm. which is about a horror show icon that was like a, um, like the 50s horror show host. Like, you know, the Elvira kind of um mm-hmm. thing, uh, you know, prototype person. So then he writes Riverdale, years later. And this play was just one I wrote. I don't think I ever really ever got legs and got anywhere. But, you know, regional theater. So he does Riverdale. What does he do? He makes a character called Dr. Cerebus. Wow. And that character runs a horror-themed bookstore, I believe. Wow. I'm to look this up again. One sec. Wow. I almost think he might have had a show within the... Um, the show than show, because it was played by someone of no... Hold on.
1: Oh, my God. There's also a character in Riverdale called Brad Rayberry. You know, like oh Ray Bradberry?
0: Yes. That's... Oh, my... See, this is what's wild. Um, oh, the actor is, uh, yeah, Alessandro Giuliani. Uh, but the character is called Dr. Cerebus, and he owns a local bookstore. And I'm like, he used his own he recycled and i and i don't know whether to love or hate this Woo! but he recycled his own play title for a character within Artiverse because he's just like i got a name i can't not use this name people need the name dr sir Cer- uh cerebus. so C cerebus or Cerebus? c-e-r-b-e-r-u-s yeah, i read it the like did reading of the goddamn play and i n- it's never wanted to service
1: Oh, it is the yeah, dog. There we the go. Riedidog yes, that guards uh, Hades' realm. Uh, there it is. Yeah, I mean, another
0: another beautiful sidetracked aside.
1: Incredible. Incredible.